So those who wrote what we refer to as the gospel accounts tell us that when Jesus comes on the scene, his message was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what exactly is the kingdom of heaven? And what does that have to do with us? This is what we're going to explore in this episode of the Walking Closer podcast. We're all formed by our life experiences, but sometimes these experiences shape us in negative ways. And the process of spiritual transformation can help undo those negative impacts so we can live life to the fullest. And walking closer is all about this journey through internal transformation where real changes happen from the inside out. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. This episode is all about understanding what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. And this is something that Dallas addresses in the Divine Conspiracy, and I thought it would be good to talk about, uh, considering the fact that this kind of language uh, might sound strange, and we might actually have a tendency to not really connect with it. It might really not have any, if if very little at all, consequential meaning for us. And and besides all that, uh, Christianity has a whole a whole list of of ideas that have been offered um, about what this is. And well, I'd like to share with you what simply just what makes sense to me. And maybe it will give you something to think about. So when Jesus comes on the scene, the gospel writers pretty uh, much summarize his teachings by saying that he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I'm not going to unpack the concept of repentance here because I've done that extensively in so many other episodes. I mean, it's essentially what you know podcast is all about. But what I will say is the, the idea of repentance, well, it might have a lot of baggage sur- surrounding it for you because I know it did for me. But it doesn't, it doesn't have to. See, the idea of repentance is, is, is simply to reconsider something and to change your mind about it. And when you change your mind about something, it usually reflects in something you do, right? So repentance is not, is not saying, I'm sorry. It, it's not an apology. Now, the process of repentance, which is a process that gets you to reconsider your thinking, what, what you might have said or done, that... That might lead you to giving an apology, but just saying I'm sorry, well, that's not repentance. Because people say they are sorry all the time just because, well, they think it's the right thing to do in the moment. But it doesn't mean they really thought through their actions. Like They might just be saying it to smooth over the tension they've created. So it's not an apology. And I really think repentance is best summarized through the concept of internal transformation. See, it's an internal process that leads to change. But that's not what I really want to focus on in this episode. So let's talk about the idea of kingdom and what the kingdom of heaven is. And this might sound like foreign language to us, but for those to whom Jesus spoke, these were loaded and dangerous words. You see, when you read kingdom, think empire. And people knew how empire worked. See, kingdom... Kingdom is all about power and control. 
And those who had power were those who were able to control the world's resources. And if you control the world's resources, you can control the people. And so kingdom was about someone ordering and structuring the world in a way that best suited them and gave them the advantage. And this ordering, especially in a world where empires or, or kingdoms were constantly being conquered by other empires or kingdoms, was all about reordering things through force and violence. It, it was all about upheaval and exploitation and, and war. But even in established kingdoms, this ordering of things was held together through well, force and violence. And so when you, you got this guy who comes on the scene and he starts to talk about a kingdom being at hand, and, and this, this message is being spread among a nation of people who have well, been living under oppressive hands of, of, of much larger nations for, for hundreds of years, and they're dreaming and waiting for the day of their liberation. These words, they carry lots of energy and would have provoked various ideas in the minds of people and would also provoke various responses. So, for instance, you might have those who were anticipating the day when they would be freed from their oppression. Right? This, this language would have been enticing but inherent in this language would be the concepts of war. Now, some would welcome this moment, but there would be others. Well, at the end of the day, they would be the ones caught up in the middle of everything. Like they might feel like they were going to be the ones who were being exploited, their lands devastated, and all they really wanted is to take care of their families. And, and, and things were, were hard enough already. It, it would be like they were the ones who would be caught up in the jostling of powers, and they would really be the ones to suffer. And they might not want anything to do with any of this. And they're not looking to stir things up or make things harder for themselves. But then there would be those who actually were benefiting from the current arrangement. Like to them, this language would have been, well, usurping, being more like a threat. And in fact, much of Jesus's ministry was done right under Herod Antipas. And Herod and the specifically Herodians seem to have taken notice, because at least the Herodians seem to have seen Jesus as a threat. Like Mark 3.6 says that the Pharisees began to conspire with the Herodians on how to destroy Jesus. And Luke 13.31 tells us that the Pharisees at one point even told Jesus that Herod wanted to kill him. But I think there were some political things going on here. I think that they had more, that had more to do with those who were in Herod's ear, who felt threatened, and they were trying to use Herod's power to get rid of Jesus. And I say that because when Herod hears about Jesus, he really seems to want to meet with them. And when they finally get a chance to meet after Jesus is arrested during this trial phase, Herod basically says he doesn't see anything wrong with Jesus, at least that is deserving of death. And so you see, those who were benefiting under the current arrangement, many of the Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees, they saw Jesus as a threat and were, were trying to manipulate things and use the power of others, the, the, the system under the current arrangement to rid themselves of this man who, who posed well, a serious problem for them. And so you see, using language that depicts another kingdom being here could have been taken in different ways, especially when you consider what many were waiting for like the Messiah to come and raise up his forces and return them to their rightful place among the nations, and they would truly fulfill their role as the, the kingdom of priests to all the nations. Like That would have been extremely enticing to zealots and such. And so, so these words and the ideas they present were loaded and, and full of energy. And so when Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, 
what he meant by that was that it's here. It's present. It's available. People, people would have taken it as there's something about to happen, something imminent, maybe even immediate. And then, then he went about showing the presence of the kingdom by well, demonstrating the power of the kingdom, which is why Jesus said things like in Luke eleven twenty, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has already overtaken you. And in fact, you could say this is just about, you could say this to just about everything Jesus did. It demonstrated the power of the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom, the presence of the kingdom over whatever people were oppressed by. And this is actually, it's the same thing he instructed his disciples to say when they did some of the same kind of work. Like uh, Luke 10, 9, 10, 11, uh, thereabouts. He, he told them that after they did whatever work it was that they were doing to tell people that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And, and it's interesting because even to those who rejected what was being done, they didn't want anything to do with it. It didn't change the fact that the kingdom of God has come. Go read Luke 10, 9, 10, and, and 11. But what was Jesus actually talking about? Like, what did he mean by all of this? Obviously, there's something going on here with, well, based on everything we've said thus far, what reflects that? So what did Jesus mean by that? Like, how are we supposed to take this? Well, at one point, the disciples came to Jesus, and they were asking him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus says something to them that, I believe sheds light on the idea of what he meant by the kingdom of heaven. See, in this prayer, Jesus says, your kingdom, speaking to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, consider that for a moment. Jesus is is, is speaking about a desire for a reordering of things. He is talking about another way of ordering the world, which is why he says your kingdom, right? And then he tells us exactly what that desire and the desire is for earth and heaven to basically become the same place. He says, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Like it's, think about it. Okay. It's not about leaving earth, but about two things becoming more and more the same place. It's not about escaping this place to retreat to another place at another time. It's not about uh, what happens when you die, but about this world, the here and now. And so when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It also has a lot of, lot of, lot of energy, a lot of meaning and depth, uh, a lot of, a lot of weight to it. It's loaded words. You know, we, we, we've, we've also talked a lot about the concept of, of the will. Because it says, your will be done. You know, the will or, or the heart or, or the spirit. And I, I believe these are terms that are often used interchangeable in the Bible. So the prayer is a desire for the heart of God to be realized. And as such, uh, for things to be ordered on earth, like in such a way that things are aligned with the heart of God. And so it's a, it's a desire for the trajectory of things to be more and more in God's way. And a part of what this is, is also an acknowledgement that things are not the way they should be right now. That things are, are messed up and things need to be better and there has to be a better way. Like, right? and, and the source of that better way is acknowledged that it is God, the, the heart of God, the will of God. Now, now, to be clear, Jesus didn't bring the kingdom into existence, okay? It was already here. 
In fact, the original language bears this out. It, like, it has to do with something that existed in the past and has present consequences. That's why we say that Jesus was preaching the accessibility of the kingdom. So saying your kingdom come is not asking for it to come into existence, but for it to come and take over in those places where it is not. It's asking for God's reign and rule to come wherever it doesn't exist, wherever things are not aligned or ordered around his heart or his will. And so the kingdom, it has to do with a reordering of the things, and, and, and the source of that reordering is the heart of God. And if God is a source of that reordering, then wherever that reordering is taking place, his will is being done. Therefore, his, he is reigning and he is ruling in that place. And the prayer, the prayer actually, actually goes on to acknowledge how we participate in making this happen. And it's no coincidence that this prayer lines up with the teachings of Jesus in showing us that, that, that there is a better way of doing things. But this is, this is where the difficulties of all this come to the surface. See, the idea of kingdom is all about someone's will, about seeing someone being in control. Someone is reigning and ruling. And as Dallas put it, we all have our own kingdoms, like our own realms of influence where our wills are followed, where what we want is done. Like it's literally, really the only place where what we want is really what we get. And we like that. Like that is not something we easily let go of. And again, this is, this is where the teachings of Jesus really shine, though. Like they help us to let go of the grip we often want to maintain, especially when our wills are not aligned with God's. Like they help us to actually go through the process of repentance where we can let go of the self that was formed and shaped away from God. And this, is, this is what Jesus invites us to, invites us to do. And, and as Dallas put it, we are invited to come and share in what God is doing, to walk with him, to walk alongside him. It's like an invitation to return to what once was. And this is, this is where the idea of, I guess, trust comes into play. Like it, it actually brings us alongside God where we can experience what it is like to live with God, right? And so that's what it looks like to trust in God. But remember, trust is based on good reasons, in other words, there are things you can point to as to why you trust. And if you don't have good those good reasons to trust, right? Well, it's just stupid. I mean, you don't base things off of nothing. And so remember, wrapped up in this idea of trust, it was good reasons. I mean, you have things to stand on. You have reasons why you do this stuff. And, and I also like the way that Dallas explained what this trust does. He said, like Jesus, we can enter the work we see God doing, which is why you hear language of being labors together with God, working with God, the work of the kingdom, etc. So that's the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's where things are aligned with the heart of God, the will of God. And it's, it's here among many other kingdoms at the same time, but it, it doesn't respond like other kingdoms. It doesn't use force. Like there's no obvious invasion, right? It moves in uh, through personal choice to begin with, and then through the journey of being a disciple, which is the journey through transformation. And Dallas said it this way, and I really like this. He says, the interior castle of the human soul, as Teresa of Avila called it, 
has many rooms, and they're slowly occupied by God, allowing us time and room to grow. And just because it might not be fully realized in a person, it doesn't take away from the reality of its existence, for it is available and has been here as long as humans have been. And we're invited to it. So there it is, episode 110. What what might the kingdom be? And of course, you can explore these ideas even further. And I know there are lots of other opinions on what the kingdom is, but this just seems to make sense to me. It's, it's practical and relevant, and it's in light of Jesus and his teachings. While you may want to talk about the kingdom in terms that go beyond this, you at least have to include these things in your discussion because once you see them, you can't deny them. So, thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace. I'm going to talk to you soon.